Hello, one and all, and thank you for downloading episode number 123 of this sports movie podcast venture known as Scoring at the Movies. If you haven't seen Logan Lucky, and yet you decided to listen to us talk about it anyway, be prepared for us to spoil it today. I'm the author of The Ellis Family Curse, although none of us have any fake hands. I don't think so. Ryan Ellis. And here's the man who wouldn't eat fake salt and has a series of alibis during the big heist he's in charge of. Introducing Chris DiGregorio. Thanks, Ryan. You know, I've spent a lot of time getting my software balanced out just right, and I feel like I've got my blood glycemic index in a real sweet spot for long-lasting energy. So I've got a good feeling about this one. I feel like I can go all the way. Although Sam's trying to get me to drink one of his sketchy energy drinks before we get going. I'll try to resist the impulse because I don't know how that's going to go. That influenced that dog, Sam. Yep. (laughs) That was a fun thing, by the way, that Steven Soderbergh did in Ocean's Eleven with Julia Roberts. It was introducing Julia Roberts. I think mostly because they wanted the alphabetical thing. So Clooney was first. Cheadle, I think, wasn't billed at all or something because he would have been first if he was going alphabetical. Sure. But Clooney, Damon, Garcia, Pitt, and then Julia. Because Julia probably should have been second. He does a hero, Daniel Craig. Did you notice in the credits? It says, introducing Daniel Craig. Yeah, I think we laughed about that a little bit. Because at this point, you're like, oh, Daniel Craig doesn't need introducing anymore. How many Bond movies would he have at done? At least three, I think At it was. least three, yeah. And of course, he was pretty well known in other ways. He'd been in Munich for Spielberg and a lot of good movies. Well, we talked about before. I think when we did Casino Royale, that the big breakout for him was Layer Cake, which was the same yeah. year as Munich, actually. And then Casino Royale was the year after that. I think he got Bond based on Layer Cake. And now we see in the Knives Out movies, the two of them, and obviously Logan Lucky. When this guy does comedy, he's very good at it. Yes. Maybe because it's the irony of this guy who's played, well, mostly known for Bond and badass roles. And he's played other things that are like that, I guess, too. Anyway, when he plays comedy the way he does in this movie and other ones, Knives Out especially, he's so great at it, but it probably is because it's against what we know him from. You're right. He's playing against type. He's got the stoicism down. So when he's playing something a little bit silly... There's still a level of commitment to it that I love. Oh, yeah. We watched this movie together. We'd both seen it before, although it sounds like we recollected varying levels of... I remembered almost nothing about it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I... I remembered a lot about it. I remember liking this movie a lot the first... I think this is the third time I saw it. But the thing that stuck out to me on this watching with you was the accent that Hilary Swank was applying to her character. Maybe it was because it was close to her voice, but it was slightly off. Contrast that against Daniel Craig, because he's putting on a very silly accent himself. But it didn't jar me as badly, maybe because it is so much further away from his natural voice. But he also commits to it so hard, which is not to say that Hilary Swank doesn't. But in this movie, Daniel Craig commits to this character so hard. This is a movie with some fun scenes in it, mostly, I think, involving Adam Driver and Daniel Craig, for me anyway. But the ones that kill me the most, like you said, are the Daniel Craig moments. And I got to tell you, bar none, the one, I don't know why this kills me, his Joe Bang character is being told by Channing Tatum that, listen, your brother told his no good ex-girlfriend about your secret stash. She dug it up and she ran away with a trucker to Florida or Mm -hmm. from Florida. And he goes, oh man, wait, from what part of Florida? (laughs) And they said something like St. Petersburg or something or Clearwater. He's like, oh, 
you can hear the internal monologues like, oh, if it was Miami, I could have lived with it. But St. Petersburg, oh, <laughs> he's just got fury about this particular part of Florida that he plays so low key, but so intensely that I kind of love it. Mm-hmm. And the same thing applies to things like they question his knowledge about chemistry. And so he gives them an impromptu lesson on organic chemistry interactions mm-hmm. between the gummy bears and everything. Just total not for nothing throwaway line. Or throwaway moment. Writes it on the wall, which is part of Jimmy's cleanup. He has to make sure that's off the wall when the job is done. Yeah. You mentioned geography with Florida. One of the compelling, or not so much compelling, but one of the interesting (laughs) things about this film is how wrong the geography is. And I thought this was true, but I looked it up, and it's also in the trivia and the goof section on IMDb, but I looked it up for myself anyway. How close or how far North Carolina and West Virginia are. They're in Boone County, West Virginia. And if you map that to the Charlotte Speedway motorway, that's about four hours, maybe four and a half hours. They make it look like he got there in 20 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, or that he commutes. Yeah. You're not commuting four hours a day or four and a half hours a day. I was doing a quick Google mapping exercise when we were watching this movie because the early scenes when we see Channing Tatum get canned and drive back from North Carolina to West Virginia, I'm like, hold on a second, what's going on there? And then he has a conversation with his sister. I think she was mapping it basically from where they were to like Lynchburg, Tennessee or something. Okay. 52 miles. And she's telling the whole convoluted route to get there because of road closures and stuff. Is West Virginia such a small place that you get from this point in West Virginia to this point, I think the northern part of Tennessee, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. in 50 miles or thereabouts? And then like you said, we have scenes where they're driving from West Virginia to the track and back again during the heist, no less. That's right? an entire shift. Yeah. <laughs> it would take you about eight hours. Consider the alibi element of it too, right? Mm -hmm. Because he's supposed to get from the heist to his daughter's recital in West Virginia Mm -hmm. as part of his alibi. And you're supposed to do that quickly enough that you're plausibly there the whole Mm -hmm. night at the recital. I would cut them slack if this movie was made 60 or 70 years ago when not that many people had maps or bothered to look it up if they had a map and didn't have the option of looking on their phone or their computer. (laughs) What's that line in The Simpsons? I hope somebody got fired for that blender. (laughs) (laughs) Ultimately... Nothing really turns on it, but you're right. It's a weird blunder to make because they make the very conscious decision of name-checking West Virginia multiple times, obviously the Carolina Speedway multiple times, but also Tennessee multiple times because there's a whole almost needless subplot of, hey, you're going to move my daughter out of state. You're not going to do that. They very consciously put these people in West Virginia, North Carolina, and maybe Tennessee. Why not just have them all be in North Carolina? Maybe the threat is that they're going to move to Florida or Tennessee. but But you want that song. West Virginia, what's <laughs> yeah. that called? Take Me country Home. Ho- country Take Roads. Take Me Home, Country Roads, Roads yeah. Yeah. Which the girl Great sings song. and wins the beauty pageant with. Yeah. Beauty pageants for grown-ups is bad enough, but for kids. Oh, so bad. creepy. But you know who wrote this movie, though? Who's Apparently it's Jules Asner. That's Soderbergh's wife for quite a long time now. Okay. The only screenplay she's ever had, although reading online, it isn't necessarily that it was her, because her name in the credits is Rebecca Blunt. Some have said that's actually Soderbergh with a pseudonym because he doesn't go by his own name when he does cinematography and editing. He uses, I think it's a combination of his parents' names or something. Uh, Mary Bernard and what is it again? I'll look right now. I think So it's, it's not his porn name, like whatever it is. Your pet <laughs> dog plus the street you grew up on or whatever. Because he has been shooting and editing his own movies a lot, especially shooting them. He almost always, I think he always shoots them now, but he cuts some of them. When he's editing, he's Mary Ann Bernard. And when he's shooting the movie, it's Peter Andrews. So there was a pseudonym. Rebecca Blunt isn't real, but the question becomes, is it his wife or is it him? The interesting thing with his wife is that she has never written anything before or since. But then maybe she knows nothing about geography is my point. (laughs) It's my point. (laughs) I enjoy the screenplay. I think it's got the right level of goofy banter elements and things like that. And enough 
pacing. It allowed me to glaze over the logical inconsistencies, including the geography and including more than a few elements of the heist plan that rely on wild coincidence or rely on third parties behaving in very specific ways that you could never predict. Mm. I can forgive those things in this type of movie as long as A, I'm being entertained along the way, which we absolutely were, and B, you do enough to establish the bona fides of the heist to make it interesting. Give me enough reason for this heist to take place and give me enough of the detail, which I think we get from characters like Joe Bang when he's blowing the money drop, whatever, the pneumatic tube thing, right? Mm -hmm. We get enough of that from Channing Tatum explaining why it's happening here, why it's happening now that I can forgive some of the other elements, partly because also you get those other elements that aren't so logical involve people like Dwight Yoakam that are a lot of fun in this movie, even Mm -hmm. if they don't make a ton of sense. If this was Soderbergh's wife and it's her only screenplay, kudos, because for all of its flaws, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. If it's Soderbergh himself, sure, kudos too. You're just a much more experienced guy, obviously. Yeah, pretty funny movie for her to write if she did write it. By the way, Chris has tea over there, right? Is that what that is? It is. It is a Friday night, but he's drinking tea and I've got some rye and diet as usual by the way before we go any further i meant to do this already but i'll do it now we have some longest yard runs hit snares or fumbles missed tackles and sacks i guess I like you can call them yeah haven't done this in a while but a few minor things i'd like to fix here sheldon turner's script wasn't nominated for a razzie award as i said but it was nominated for a stinker's bad movie award <laughs> i hope we get over this one what even is that i've mentioned it before in other podcasts yeah the sports movies seem to get those relatively often i know i've said that once maybe even twice before the stinkers bad movie award it must be a newish thing i don't think it's from 30 years ago and also you said chris matthews is the one in the broadcast booth during the game but it's chris berman of course oh yes chris berman it's not the potato as stephen colbert <laughs> stephen colbert would call him it's You're, the of course nickname guy what a silly yep that's right fair but back to Logan Lucky. So La Estafa de des Logan, as I saw online, I guess that's a Spanish thing, was released on August 18th, 2017. So we probably should have done it last year when it was five years old, but okay. It didn't even double its budget worldwide, so you cannot call the film an unqualified success, but it didn't fail. The critics loved it. 92% of them said, good movie. 7.5 out of 10 is the average. Wow. 290 reviews are on the site, 290. And 76% of audiences. It was 88th at the box office in 2017. We've covered a couple of the movies from that year. Well, more than two, but these two really stand out because they're both really good. Well, especially the first one, I, Tonya, which I love so much, it's was 83rd, movie. and Molly's Game was 85th. So right in that whole string there, 83rd, 85th, 88th, these three movies. We also covered Battle of the Sexes, by the way, but I didn't write down what they made at the box office. I think it was less than all of these movies. Yeah, it would be. And it was nominated for a bunch of awards, but no Oscars. I don't know what it would have been no anyway. Oscars? Yeah, no kidding. Daniel Craig, not really. He's good. He's not Oscar worthy. No, it would have to be, you would think, cinematography or something, if anything. I'm actually kind of shocked that the critical acclaim of this was... Is that strong? Yeah, because especially given how much flack I gave to critics when we were talking about... What was it? Longest Yard. Longest Yard, yeah. The remake, of course. The remake. Original they loved, the new one they didn't. Sure. A movie like this coming out just begs comparisons to movies like Ocean's Eleven. Oh, yeah. Same director. But I think, without question, Ocean's Eleven is a better movie. Oh, yeah. It's more logically defined, the heist that is. A lot of performances are better. So I would have thought that this movie would have drawn a lot of not as favorable comparisons to Ocean's Eleven from critics, mind you. Okay, yeah. But I guess it didn't. When it comes to scoring it, I imagine we're both going to give it positive scores. Mm -hmm. We've done so many movies where we've enjoyed the movie from a fun perspective while admitting it's a flawed movie, but the critics have just annihilated it for reasons that would escape both of us. 
So yeah. this is kind of throwing me for a loop now. I yeah. don't know what to make of this. <laughs> I was surprised to see those numbers myself. The Ocean's Eleven comparison is very apt. They do even get meta. The FBI, one of them says it, I guess. So maybe it's the media. This is Ocean 7-Eleven, they call it. Oh, did they? I even though there's that. a lot of money they steal. So 7-Eleven is a weird comparison. You're thinking nickel and dime when you hear something sure. like that. They steal a ton of money because they're not supposed to be doing the job on this huge race day. I guess because right. of the dangers involved, but they have to move the job up because the construction work is going to be done sooner. So it's now or never. Right. And that's just to give the movie some drama. You didn't need to do that in the first place. They steal all that money. And I guess the whole point was always Jimmy didn't tell anybody else, I don't think. Or maybe we're not supposed to know. So that's why they don't look like they know either. Anyway, he puts all that money in garbage bags, but then keeps a lot for everybody, including himself, of course. He bought a house with it at the very end of the film, in fact. Mm-hmm. The first time we realize what's going on there is when somebody, not, I guess it's him, knocks on Joe Bang's door. And there's a shovel there, digs it up, there's the garbage. But he does leave an awful lot of it in his pickup truck for the cops to find. So then their speedway manager can say, well, I got most of the money back. Well, he doesn't know he doesn't all. He thinks he got all the money back and he got an insurance settlement. So he wins anyway and he wants to drop the case. But the FBI doesn't want to let it go. At least, well, they do actually, but it's Hillary Swank that doesn't. And the end of the movie is also very similar to Ocean's Eleven in a very big way. The very last shot of that movie is Terry Benedict's guys following Pitt, Clooney, and Julia when they're driving away from that prison after Clooney's right. been let out. His sentence is finally over. Or he went back to jail, I guess. That's what it was, because he was in a casino. He shouldn't have been in a casino, and that violated his parole. But the notion there is, and I think he even says, Benedict even says, if you spend anything major, I'll have you killed. And his guys right. are following for exactly that reason. I forget the second movie. I only saw it that one time. I didn't love Ocean's 12. But some of them must have spent money. At some point, you steal all that kind of thing. Well, here you get the same deal, except nobody knows who the people are. No one mm-hmm. believes when Seth MacFarlane's character rats them out or tries to. I liked his performance because this movie, to me, might as well have been brand new. So I knew he was in it because I saw his name in the credits, but I didn't recognize him at all. And it's only because I knew he was in the movie from doing the work ahead of time yeah. that I knew who it was. He sinks into this role for a non-actor. You get a close-up of his face. Okay, that's Seth MacFarlane. But anything further away than that, I did not know it was him. The long hair, yeah. the way he's speaking, all of that. There were definitely choices made for that character. Like, we're going to make him Australian. We're going to give him a jerry-curled wig, long hair, weird mustache. I think he's fine. For most of the movie leading up to the very end of it, and I forget the details of the movie, the nitty-gritty, so I forget what his purpose is until the very end. And then, like you said, he tries to rat them out and ultimately almost serves to help vindicate them because the driver's so mad at him that Mm. he contradicts it and it just makes it sound like... Jimmy and the gang were never actually in the speedway at all. But I think he does a good job for a non-actor. Well, he's an actor, I guess, but we don't think of him as that first. We think of him as like a a voice guy and writer, I guess. Writer and producer, director. I mean, that said, I do like the Orville a lot, too, so I'll give him credit there. Mm. I didn't like the movie that much, but that Western, he was the star of his own Western. Did not like The Million Ways to Die in the West? That's it, yeah. Didn't love that either. He was the main character, though. The comparisons to Ocean's Eleven make sense, and they work... Sense of Fun's a big part of it, too. Both Sense movies are fun. pretty funny. That one's funnier, yeah. but this is pretty funny, too. And you mentioned the heist and the amount of money they ultimately steal. And one of the questions I had, maybe this is one of those things where you just have to say, you can hypothesize all you want, but ultimately, the events that happened are the events that happened, and they mm-hmm. just rolled with the punches. Jimmy and Clyde have to convince Joe Bang's brothers to come along, and then Jimmy's sister's in there. So you get this gang, and nobody really knows the details of the plan except Jimmy, And I guess to a lesser extent, we're meant to understand Clyde does as well, because we get those sequences at the end of the movie where Jimmy's confiding in him a little bit that we never saw the first go around. What would happen if Jimmy finds out that the job is not going to finish early? It's just on schedule. The gang doesn't have to change their plans. They ultimately end up robbing the smaller race. So they take a lot less money, but there's a lot less security, presumably, and heat on the race. So they get away clean. 
I guess in that circumstance, Jimmy is not returning any money because the overall take would have been much smaller. So does the FBI just stay on their tails in that world? And they Probably. I guess. I it still would have been a lot of money. It wouldn't have been as much, but still yeah. a lot of money. I can't help thinking about what was Jimmy's plan going in, because ultimately the way he resolves it is by giving back a lot of money to help get the heat off of him. He becomes a folk hero, we're told in the news, right? He's like a Robin Hood, and the track says, we don't know exactly how much money was taken in, because it was all cash. It was a crazy busy race. Because the brothers had blown up the credit card thing. Exactly. So that people couldn't use credit cards, had to be cash. Yeah, and when Hillary Swank is interviewing the manager of the track or whatever at the end of the movie. Oh, we do see him. Okay, I forgot that. They're talking, and he's saying, this has been resolved to the track satisfaction we're not pursuing this any further bye bye miss swank kind of thing and she says how do you know how much the insurance company had to pay you if you didn't know how much money was ultimately stolen because you didn't have a good record of it i don't know i'm not a bean counter i just let the auditors figure that out he's got this like sleazy grin on his face i bet they had a rough idea of how much money they would have expected to take in right the insurance company probably paid them way more because yeah, they upped the estimate right and so if they caught the robbers then found out how much money was still in their possession the insurance company might have been like whoa we way overpaid you we need yeah. to recoup some of that so they profited on this exactly theft of his own place so i don't know if that was meant to be some sort of commentary on corporate greed or something like that but that's, I bet it is. that's the way that played to me as a screenwriting technique or an acting choice, I liked it. I don't know if that's what they were going for. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Why did Jimmy not share the plan? Well, I think there's two reasons why. One is plausible deniability, I guess, for them. Oh, for sure, yeah. But the bigger reason is so we don't know. Because oh, yeah. he tells them in any kind of chalkboard scene. Ocean's Eleven, same thing. I was never fully clear in Ocean's Eleven how exactly that went down. I get the basic idea. I've seen it many times. I love that movie. Great audience movie. I saw that in late December 2001. I remember a lot of laughs, including me. But I was never entirely clear how it worked with them filming their own version of the robbery that they built in their own warehouse in their own time and then making it look like that. So I thought that was a little bit hard to completely figure out and certainly that's the case with this as well. But in both cases, you can't tell us the job because that's part of the twist of the movie. Right. Except then you go to the notion of well, why are they being so secretive with each other? But then plausible deniability. Yeah, I think that's a lot of it. And I think that's also part of the reason why we get the 10 rules that Jimmy writes down when he's mm -hmm. going to Clyde initially. And incidentally, I do love the grade school level diorama of the racetrack yeah, that right. Jimmy builds to try to convince Clyde to do the job with him. Like, <laughs> in my head, I can just picture this 40-year-old dude or 35 or however old Channing Tatum is meant to be in this movie up all night with cardboard and Elmer's glue building this thing so that he can show it to his brother in the morning to convince him to rob millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. That does lead me to the nutshell, though, very nicely. Logan Lucky in a nutshell. Logan not lucky, Logan prepared. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Logan prepared. He's very prepared. And the notion is that they have a family curse they mentioned a few times. I guess they are lucky in some ways, though, because they should have gotten yes. caught. Any good movie, Ocean's Eleven certainly does this. I think the other two sequels do as well, where this great plan that Clooney and Pitt have put together doesn't fully work because of things they can't control. Yeah. And this has some of the same elements in there. But they're still, especially Jimmy, very prepared. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that comes down to that list of things that I was just touching on. I think there was like 10 items on the list. Don't get greedy, stuff like that. And I'm sure one of those items was keep it quiet or more than one thing may go wrong. Be prepared, right? And one element that I like about this movie, contra Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven, you got Danny Ocean, you got Rusty and all these guys. At least the head dudes of that planning process, they're all slick gamblers. They're con artists. The guy masterminding this, and I think part of the reason this movie works for me Channing Tatum plays his character like a redneck. He's a blue-collar guy. He's a blue-collar sure. guy. 
Not that we're meant to think he's stupid necessarily, but we're given no reason to believe he's particularly smart mm. either. When he gets canned from his job, well, you know, you didn't disclose your knee injury. Which is like, okay. Got fired for limping. Yeah, that's a little bit of a stretch, but fine. He has to have inside knowledge of the workings, whatever. Mm. And he has to get fired as a motivation to rob. Okay, cool. But when he explains it, he's like, you know, I got fired for liability reasons. It sounds like a guy that doesn't fully understand it, but he's just trying to convey the message of the way he heard it. You've got this impression of the character. And then when the movie plays out, as things are seemingly going wrong, and they're like, oh, no, it worked out ultimately. And we get that recap of the behind-the-scenes workings of the heist that we weren't privy to going into the heist itself. Neither were some of the other guys, or all the other guys. Exactly. So we're learning that with them in retrospect. But that's when you get to see how smart Jimmy is, right? Mm -hmm. And we know he hasn't gone to university. We learned that because of his football injury. But the man is canny. He does things like make sure that he doesn't come out of hiding or spend any money until they've shut down his cell phone after six months because he knows from past experience, the second you don't pay your bill, they're going to turn it off unless they have a reason not to, like they're tracking you or whatever. Mm -hmm. Don't read a book by its cover kind of thing. It's like that last little surprise is the unveiling of just how smart this guy really is. Yeah, good point. Well, and Channing Tatum has worked with Soderbergh many times before. He also produced this film, by the way. And I thought we hadn't covered him before, but we have. Because we we? did Coach Carter. He's the white guy on the team, or one of the few white guys on that team. Yeah, that's right. He is, isn't he? He's the one that volunteers in a scene I love in that movie when Timo Cruz has to do the push-ups and the sit-ups when he's punished by Coach Carter, Samuel L. Jackson. But he doesn't reach the goal because it's just so many. But it's him that speaks up. It's Channing Tatum's character that speaks up and says, I'll do some, meaning the push-ups and the suicides, I think it is. Then they all volunteer. And the notion, I guess, all along is that Carter wanted somebody to realize he can't do this. But we're supposed to be a team, so I'll volunteer to do it. Yeah. Many hands make light work kind yeah. of thing. And I think his character in the story, as I recall, Tatum's character was a starter until all these great young black players came in that year and bumped him out of a job. So it shows a lot of growth on his part, too, to truly be a team guy and saying, not only am I cool with this guy coming back in the team, but he's making sure even more so I'm not going to play in some of these big games. Mm-hmm. But we're a team. And also, of course, Foxcatcher. we got to cover that one of these days because I didn't love that movie. But, of course, it's an amateur wrestling film. Steve Carell got an Oscar nomination out of that. I think yep. that movie was nominated for a few awards, actually. And then he and Mark Ruffalo, Ruffalo was nominated too, played brothers in that. We've never covered Adam Driver before. By the way, a no. real-life Marine, and we did, Bev and I did, that is, Inside Lewin Davis on Have You Ever Seen, my other podcast, in January. So I've now covered the guy twice in a couple of months. He's still relatively new at making movies, though. Maybe about 10 years he's been making films. Probably less, actually, because I think Girls was his big breakout, and I think that was into the 2010s. Of course, Star Wars guy, Kylo yeah. Ren. And he's a lot of fun in this, too, with the accent... Tatum doesn't have that accent, so he's putting it on as well. But Tatum, in some ways, seems more natural. Driver seems like he has to act to be this guy a little bit more. I wouldn't say he sinks into the character. I think you do see the strings a little bit, but it certainly is fun. He does use that fake arm. Well, obviously, most of the time, it's a real arm with a contraption that makes it look like it's a fake arm, and then use visual effects or something, or hide his real arm when you want to use the rubber hand. He has a bionic arm at the end. Do you realize that? Do you see that when he's (laughs) serving drinks at the very end? That was the one thing that made me look askance at everything because as intelligent as Channing Tatum's character has been about wrapping up the heist and making sure nobody's getting caught and waiting until the heat dies down, long before we get to the point where he reappears and the money is given to Joe Bang and all of those things start rolling out, there's a package delivered to Adam Driver Mm -hmm. with that bionic arm in it. And we know that the original arm that Adam Driver had was sucked up into the machinery, and we know that Channing Tatum had retrieved it, but Channing Tatum had immediately gone into hiding, and Adam Driver hadn't seen him, so presumably couldn't retrieve his arm. 
It struck me that maybe this was an intentional thing on Soderbergh's part as well. Maybe this was the one blind spot that Channing Tatum's character was meant to have. Makes his, sense when it's his brother. His brother, right? And he's like, I can't leave him without the arm. It may not be smart, but I'm going to send it to him. We fast forward to that final sequence at the bar when Channing Tatum is explaining all the thought processes behind why'd you stay hidden for six months, the whole cell phone thing, all of that. Mm. And we see Hillary Swank, like you said before, she's there drinking at the bar, implying, I might not be assigned to you anymore, but I'm still on you, right? Mm. But part of me is wondering if her character is this canny agent who has the nose for crime, knows something is up. How do you afford that arm? Right, because it's not like your basic replacement level prosthetic arm. It's got bionically activated fingers. Now, and those, you probably don't know, but are they really expensive? I think they are. And you say you don't know, but <laughs> one of the YouTube rabbit holes I've fallen down recently oh. is how 3D printing and robotics have worked to try to make prosthetic limbs more affordable. Okay. And they've gone a long way, but the cheapest one you're going to find is still of that type that we see in this movie. I'm talking today. So this is five years, six years after the movie was made. So 3D printing has come that much further. Mm. So today it would be at least three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000, probably a lot more. And for a guy like <laughs> Adam Driver's character in this Working movie... On tips. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's pretty fishy to me, so... That's why it's a bit of a dark ending in that sense. It is, Because these guys didn't get away clean, but then she is working rogue. That's why I think, and I don't imagine at this point we're ever going to see it, but I think it would would have been really cool to see your Ocean's 12 version of... Logan, not so lucky anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe it's not... Logan, less lucky. (laughs) Logan, less lucky, or Logan unplanned or something, to Mm -hmm. your earlier point about implanting. Who knows? Because then you can certainly get that rogue agent confronting the gang. She might become the main character, even though Hilary Swank, a pretty big name, two-time Oscar winner, we've covered her before because she's a million-dollar baby, won the Oscar for that. We did that quite a few years ago. But she's got a very tiny role in this. You don't even see her for about an hour and a half into this two-hour movie. And she doesn't have that much screen time even when she is on the scene. But a sequel should really be about her if there ever was one. There obviously won't be. Not at this point, I wouldn't think. One of the standout elements of this movie I'd legitimately forgotten until we rewatched it for the podcast is how many stars might be a stretch for some of them, but known names or Hollywood legacies are in this because, you know, you can list off all the main actors in it, right? Channing Tatum, Adam Dr- And like you said, Adam Driver's profile has certainly increased in recent years. But even at this point, he was a known quantity because mm-hmm. he's already been Kylo Ren, if nothing right. else. You talked about Riley Keough, and she might not have been a star, but I think she was a known quantity at this point as well. Obviously, got Jack Quaid in this. And I don't know if he was that well known yet. No, but, but I call them legacies because they're sons of bigger stars mm-hmm. like Dennis Quaid and Brendan Gleeson's son. Which one is this? Brian Gleeson? Brian Gleeson, yeah. And obviously, Hilary Swank. And then you see people popping up like Katie Holmes, who might not have been a big star anymore, but Used still to be, a name. Though. Used to be. Sebastian Stan, pretty small Sebastian role Stan, as the driver. Right. right. And Seth MacFarlane, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Dwight Yoakam. Dwight Yoakam. Not really a star, but a really good actor. Such a great villain in Panic Room and Sling Blade. That's one of my favorite movies, period. A villain in a very ordinary sense, because he's just a bully to his girlfriend and everybody else in that little family. You're right, though. It's a really good cast in this film, and a lot of them have pretty small roles. No, that's true. It pales when you break down the cast of Ocean's Eleven, but they're clearly going for a similar thing. And I know you said it didn't recoup even double its budget. you know Mm. what the budget itself was, did it say? Let's take a look. Wikipedia says $29 million, and it made 48.5. 29 to me, is a shockingly small budget for a movie that has this many known actors you in it. You know a big reason why? They shot it very quickly. So you're not spending that much money on lunch and locations. And yeah. I guess the actors get paid by the week, like we do. I think that's the way that works with acting. I'm not entirely sure about that. In I have no idea. But if they do, they're not there as long as you are for a lot of movies of this basic size. It's not a huge movie, but it's not a small one either. It's not a little interior standing around in rooms. It's a very action-oriented kind of film. There's a lot of exterior shooting. 
Now, the reason we do this movie, of course, is because it's supposed to be a sports film. And because I haven't seen it in so long, I forgot there's almost no racing in this film. <laughs> there is less racing in this than there was baseball in Naked Gun. You can make the argument, just like we made with Naked Gun, and it was definitely more applicable to Naked Gun. But nonetheless, most of this movie does take place around a NASCAR racetrack. Under it, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stick with around just because it sounds like there's more racing involved. We see a lot of race car drivers dressed in their race suits and stuff. There are a lot of cars. And well, people that actually do this for a living are commentators. Yes, absolutely. Jeff, Jeff Gordon, Gordon and so on. Yeah. yeah, so there's elements of NASCAR in this. I will qualify Riley Keough as a moonshine, back road racer kind of character, mm-hmm. more so than a race car driver. She's pretty good in this. But she's pretty you good. said legacy. She and Jack Quaid are both talented actors. We maybe wouldn't know their names if they weren't the progeny of more famous people. Wait, who is Riley? Riley Keough is Elvis's granddaughter. Oh, that's because right. Lisa yes. Marie, who Lisa just Marie. died recently, right. is her mom. I didn't know she was Lisa Marie's daughter when I first heard her name because of that last name being different. Right. She hasn't really done that many huge movies. Not that this is huge either, but she's done a lot of horror films. But she's pretty talented, and we've seen Jack Quaid and The Boys. In a lot of ways, is the star of that thing, despite yeah. all the other great actors that are in that. And he's pretty good, too. Maybe we wouldn't know his name if it wasn't Dennis Quaid's son and Meg Ryan's son, but he's proven himself at this point that he belongs in the business. Yeah, for sure. He and Gleason are fun together. They are fun. And I love the moment when he says, I went to whatever technical school. Jimmy says, Joe says, you know computers. And Jack Quaid just goes, yeah, I went to blah, 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 technical school. I know all the Twitters or whatever. (laughs) And then as far as I could tell... At no stage in the rest of the movie did that come into play whatsoever. They never interacted with computers. They ruin computers, but they don't use them. Yeah, they blow up. I think they do actually at one point, but it's not a common thing that they do in this film. Do they use a computer? I think I... I'm not entirely sure. I could be wrong. (laughs) I just found it funny that for some reason, Jimmy feels the need to quiz him on his bona fides, Mm. even though Joe Bang already said, my brothers are in this or I'm not doing it, so you know they're coming in. It never comes into play. And in fact, later on, they're meant to be a little bit slow, right? Mm. So just before the heist begins, they blow the transformer room or whatever that links the internet connectivity for the credit cards cards and stuff. It must have been their brother that wrote them notes on how to mix these things together. Put part one and part two, put part two and part three, put part three and part four, then run. And they're like, what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Got the running part. (laughs) Forgot the running part. Prior to that, they called Jimmy from the payphone outside of Lowe's after. And this is one of the things that threw me for a loop here. Part of the heist was Jimmy's sister, the Riley Keough character, paints different colored nail polish on different batches of cockroaches. Mm. And then they arrange for a cake to be delivered to one of the people that works in the vault. And then later that night, they sneak into the underground tunneling works, unscrew all of the various pipes that run through there put the differing colored cockroaches in each tube to figure out which tube it is that goes to the money vault. Yep. Okay, that's a clever little quirk that I never would have seen coming. The cockroaches follow the scent of the cake that was left in the vault because that was what was delivered, and then they arranged for the person that it was delivered to to be called out of the vault until it automatically locked. All that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But they had to have a way to ensure that the exterminators that the racetrack called were somehow the... Jack Quaid Mm -hmm. and Brian Gleason characters. How? As far as we know, they don't work for an exterminator company. We're never given a scene where, well, we've also tapped their phone line, so we're going to intercept the outgoing call. Ocean's Eleven does that when they call the police during the big heist. Eddie Jemison, the computer guy in that movie, you see a call go from the casino, and it goes right to him, and he pretends he's the cops. Yeah. 
And then instead, it's Brad Pitt and everybody that goes in with their... That made more sense to me in Ocean's Eleven, because my recollection is we get the sequence. Was it Eddie Jemison you said the actor's name is? His character is up on the telephone pole, clipping in to intercept the call. Plus, there's a scene where he literally does intercept the phone call that would have gone to the police. Exactly. And in this case... You don't see that scene. No, and it made me wonder, because we have the scene where Jimmy does ask, you know, computers, right? And then Mm -hmm. they're like, yeah... And then we get the sequence with that exterminator thing. And because we've seen Ocean's Eleven, so we know how that plays in that heist. Was there a sequence filmed where Jack Quaid's character does the same kind of thing where we get a sequence of him either intercepting the call or he's up on the telephone pole or something and got cut for some Might reason? Might cut for pace. Maybe. That felt like a gap to me because they just sort of show up with the spray cans of poison to figure out which cockroaches were there. Well, how the hell did they get there? Surely there's a million different exterminators in North Carolina that the racetrack could have called. How could they guarantee that they would know who they're going to call? That was a head scratcher to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. We haven't mentioned the daughter that much yet. She's, what's her name again? Farrah McKenzie plays right. Sadie. And early on, we get a really cute moment where she does the gun show. <laughs> she flexes uh, yeah, that's right. for him. And she's, of course, a little kid, so it's very cute when she does that. Great line also early on is when Channing Tatum says, when he's going to the washroom, I guess to drop a deuce. Going to the satellite office. That's a great line. I also love that. I'm going to have to work that in my repertoire, too. I hope I don't forget that one. I probably will, but it's a good line. We're going to talk about this when I get back from my satellite office or whatever his line was. Yeah. And in keeping in touch with what we're seeing in movies the last little while, Bev and I are watching a lot of Oscar-nominated movies, and it seems like everything last year that got nominated for Oscars, maybe everything in general, has vomit. And this does, too, even though it's a six-year-old movie, where Joe vomits in front of the warden, so that's Dwight Mm. Yoakam, of course. So he gets sent to the sick bay. Them getting out of the prison, he and Clyde, as easily as they do. Although I like the idea that the prison riot is the cover for why no one would check on them or check on him or notice that the two of them are gone for however many hours. But they're only gone for a matter of hours. It's not days even. Right. So that's pretty clever. But them getting through that washroom seems like it's too easy because if they know that, of course, I guess if Joe tried to just break out before or after that and leave the prison, he would be caught somewhere. The notion is I'm only going to be gone long enough to do this job, go right back, serve the rest of my time. And then he thinks he's going to get paid a lot of money. doesn't at first until, as you said, six months goes by. But how is that so easy? They got out of that prison like that through the washroom and that vent, whatever it was. I mean, I agree with you. If they just use that as like a means to break out, A, you still got to get off the prison grounds because that little through the walls thing they do by busting in the back, the towel dispenser in the bathroom, they wrench off the wall and there's like a gap in the walls behind that that leads them to like the workshop area of the prison, but they still have to get off the grounds. And that's when they fabricated those things to go what was it underneath like a linen service Mm. delivery car or something we got a good sequence of this too in the longest yard when the prison bus differently done but the same idea the prison bus in the longest yard drove over a graded area in the driveway like look underneath yeah Yeah, and in this one they used the mirrors underneath but of course in this movie adam driver and daniel craig hit in these metal colored hanging things Mm. that they'd fabricated to put underneath the body of the truck so they wouldn't be spotted so i like that but you're right because it feels too easy And there's so many elements of this breakout that if you stop and think about it too closely, well, first they have to know to time this riot and stuff exactly such that Daniel Craig is going to get sick enough to go to the infirmary and be able to get to the washroom just in time for the riot that it's got to happen just when that truck pulls in because they have to be underneath it when it leaves. They have to know that the truck's going to pull over for gas at this gas station so that they can get out and meet the getaway car there. They would have had to have known the sequence of lockdown events that were definitely going to happen because the nurse had to be locked out of the same area as Daniel Craig was, right? And they had to know that the Dwight Yoakam character would totally say, no, we're not calling this riot in 
But when the fire started, that he would immediately say, "Yeah, we got to call the fire department," right? The Which man. lets them get back in as yeah, firefighters, exactly. So, which is of course another Ocean's Eleven thing, because I said earlier, Brad Pitt and company come into SWAT officers so they can take the money out. So these very specific behaviors and timing events had to happen exactly perfectly for all of this to play out. And that's before you start talking about things like the four-hour drive, (laughs) apparently, from the racetrack. We're being pedantic, but I think podcasts like this are exactly for that type of purpose. Because we didn't dwell on it during the movie. We thought about it then. We may have mentioned a few of these things. But a lot of people have gotten very famous. Honest trailers, of course, have gotten famous and. I don't know if they're wealthy, but they make a living at doing things like what we're doing right now. A, I'm a pedant at heart, but B, because I wonder about movies like this, what scenes were filmed and cut, like you said, for pacing, but that might have filled in some of these gaps, like how did this character know these things were going to happen in this sequence? Mm. If this movie was a little bit longer and a little bit slower, but those sequences were in, does that make it a better movie? Maybe not. Maybe it's a less enjoyable movie because the pace is all out of whack. Talking about it is not, in this case anyway, is not meant to slam the movie, but think it through a little bit. I'm having fun with it to some degree, too. By the way, I mentioned Swank was in Million Dollar Baby, so we've covered it before, now twice. And one of these days, we'll probably do Karate Kid 3. And then the next Karate Kid, because that's what she's in. Karate Kid 3, of course, she's not, but she is in the next Karate Kid. Allison just made me rewatch Karate Kid 3 with her. And, oh boy, the movie does not hold up at all. So as for this, we said, all right, there's barely any racing in it. What's in this seems okay. I didn't realize how much of a stretch it would be to call this a sports movie. You mentioned Sebastian Stan, of course, has got this reasonably small role in this movie. And by then, by this point, at least, he had played Winter Soldier. Yeah, so he was a reasonably well-known guy. I don't know if he is or not, but to the best of your knowledge, is he meant to be lampooning somebody, some other figure? I didn't read that, but I wouldn't be surprised. Before the race itself, we get that long sequence of presumably him giving an interview about his lifestyle and stuff. Because this is meant to be his comeback race after a period of time away from racing, right? Because mm-hmm. we get that sequence with Jeff Gordon that you referred to earlier where they're talking about that. He's just got this super pompous way of describing his lifestyle and his Zen state and how he calls his body this hardware and his food, his software. It was so preposterous and so pompous sounding that like they have to be ripping on somebody. Soderbergh might know a little bit about racing and maybe Jules Asner does if she did write this. But it also could be that you've got all these guys on set doing the little cameos as themselves that mm-hmm. maybe during lunch one day, they probably worked only a few days on this quick shoot. Sure. But during lunch, maybe they said, oh yeah, there's a time when Jim did that thing and then Bob did that thing. And then could Soderbergh be. said, let's put that in the movie. Yeah, I guess that makes a lot of sense, especially if you've got a lot of actors in this that are reasonably successful to the degree where you can afford to either demand as part of your contract, nutritionists and stuff like that, or pay for yourself like a really specific lifestyle of eating and stuff. So maybe it's just like an internal gag about Hollywoodism somehow. Or I think something. it could be, yeah. As for can you score, well, you've got Katie Holmes, Hilary Swank, and Riley Keough on the lady side, and you've got... Channing Tatum, Adam Driver, Daniel Craig, and Sebastian Stan on the guy's side. None of the guys look their best, but still, this could be a good date movie. We do. We held hands. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of like Thelma and Louise driving off the cliff together as the heist was nearing its denouement. There is the moment in this movie after they break Joe Bang and Adam Driver out of prison when Joe Bang is changing in the backseat of the car and gives that little wink to the rearview mirror and says, now... Millie, I'm going to get naked back here, so no peaky. <laughs> and then they're clicking at the very end. Yeah. Because they're all paired off. The nurse, what was it, the blood drive or whatever the hell she did? <laughs> What's her name? Waterston, uh, Sam Waterston's daughter, I think, right? Yeah, Catherine Waterston. Catherine Waterston. She, she, Sylvia. 
she gets money as well. I like that they stick her character in this movie, presumably so that Channing Tatum can have like a love interest to pair off with him. He did produce this movie, don't forget. I did say that. Yeah, fair enough. When she shows up in that blood drive van, gives him the tetanus shot, okay, well, surely she'll pop in somehow and save the day or have some small but vital role in the heist. No, doesn't show up until the end sequence. Just a character moment for him. Well, I guess she gets the envelope in the mail, which I suppose also proves what a heart of gold Channing Tatum's character has yeah. and all that. But As does the guy who started the riot, because yeah. Joe obviously told him he needed to, and the guy got paid off. Yeah, he, And so did the woman who was screwed over by them that worked there. One of the things that played into the don't judge a book by its cover thing that this movie plays with a lot is you meet Joe Bang in the prison, and... He looks part hickish, weird accent that Daniel Craig's putting on. He's weird got hairstyle. Weird hairstyle, bleach blonde. Apparently like Craig's idea. Body tattoos mm-hmm. and stuff. So immediately you're building an impression of this guy, right? And then he tells Adam Driver and Terry Tatum, go buy me prepackaged boiled eggs from the vending machine and chows those down. You're like, this guy's weird, right? Mm-hmm. But then by the heist itself, you're getting the chemistry lesson from him. You realize, okay, well, this guy's got hell of a lot of brains in that head. Weird though he might be. And then that final sequence when he's wooing Millie at the bar. Melly. Melly, sorry. He's like the most dapperly dressed guy there. The form-fitting, tailored, red, velvety shirt on. And you would expect him to get out of the bar and be like the West Virginia redneck trucker hat, dirty jeans. Nope. This guy's going to dress just one stop shy of James Bond at the bar. Or Benoit Blanc. Or Benoit Blanc. Who dresses very well, especially in the sequel in Glass Onion. Oh, so wait. Knives Out series. Your headcanon is that this is a stealth prequel to Knives Out. It might be. And that Joe Bang evolves into Benoit Blanc. Maybe he's running from the law now. And The biggest connection in his whole career would be to Benoit Blanc from this character. <laughs> Not to the Bond stuff or anything like that. I like this connection within the Daniel Craig cinematic universe that Benoit Blanc is somehow an evolution of Joe Bang. The guy's shown some range. I love the fact that he does comedy like this and does it really well. Yeah. As does Channing Tatum. Tatum, especially in, because this is a comedy too, and he's funny, but he has to carry the story, so he doesn't get a chance to be as funny as Craig and others do in this. Sure. But he is so damn funny with Jonah Hill in the 21 Jump Street movie and in the sequel as well. One of my favorite lines in the history of movies for comedy has got to be, something cool. (laughs) (laughs) If you know the sequel, then you know what I'm talking about. Now, Channing Tatum's one of those guys that I've got a lot of respect for, knowing nothing about the man himself. So in 2023, I get so nervous about praising actors. Is something awful going to come out I'd be surprised if it came about him. I agree. The Sony hack revealed a lot of things, a lot of it bad, but the Sony hack also revealed that he seems like a really cool dude who's got his head screwed on so right. Good. I'm happy to hear that. Because his whole thing was enthusiasm and... I forget exactly what it was. Sony Hack was quite a few years ago. But it wasn't that he's holding women down or being racist or anything like that, being a bully. He looks like he could be all those things. Maybe not racist, but he looks like he could be a bully at least. And he's a pretty big dude. He's in incredible shape. He got known as a dancer. Let's not forget that. He's in the Step Up movies. Right. And then we talked about Coach Carter, which he's fine in that movie. But you think that guy's going to become a producer and a guy who can do comedy like this and is also seemingly a pretty good guy, a Clooney-esque kind of person if we bring it back to Clooney again? Yeah. And from what I've heard about him the last several years, he might be. I don't love the types of movies he's always in, so I don't see all of them. Mm. But whenever I see Channing Tatum, I tend to like his performance. I love the Jump Street movies. They're a lot of fun. I even watched that movie he did with Sandra Bullock, I think it was. Lost, the Lost City? Lost City. I haven't seen that yet. The movie itself is mediocre by and large, but Bullock and Channing Tatum are a lot of fun. In fact, Channing Tatum's character is in some ways kind of reminiscent of his character in this movie. The reason I like him so much is kind of the same reason I like guys like Keanu Reeves so much. In part because they seem like nice guys, but mostly because they seem to be willing to do things in movies. You would probably have the ability to say, I don't want to do that. Or more importantly, I'm not doing that. Exactly. 
it's not necessarily directly making fun of you as the character or the actor, but it's implying things about you that might not be terribly flattering, Mm -hmm. but he seems to be willing to do that. And to a lesser extent, too, Adam Driver. Of all the performances, as fine as it is, I think you're right. He doesn't quite sink into it the same way a lot of the other people do. But one thing I do really love about it, and maybe it's just because I relate to it, is he just slows everything down all the time in this Mm -hmm. movie. He talks slow. He moves slow. He's your, what do you call that again? Your surrogate, I guess? Yeah. At one stage in this movie, the plant in the racetrack that's smoking into the grates to distract from the smoke that's going up through the tubes. From the explosion. From the explosion. Jack Quaid's character and Brian um, Gleason. Gleason's character are approached by security guards that were sent to investigate it, and they're asked, do you guys smell any smoke? And rather than just saying, nope, they give this long, elaborate explanation about, no, we both lost our senses of smell and blah, blah, blah. Overly convoluted explanation. I never had one. <laughs> Ryan, mm-hmm. you can finally see yourself portrayed on film. I feel seen. I feel seen. I think I said that during the movie, didn't I? You did. And I felt similarly about Adam Driver. I don't move too fast. <laughs> I'm not gonna. <laughs> exactly. So I give it a 6.5 out of 10. It doesn't really stick to my ribs, if you will, but I definitely sure. enjoyed it. And I can't believe how much I did not remember from the first time I saw it. Maybe I watched it when I was at work and doing other things or really tired or really drunk. Because this is definitely a thumb-up movie. But when I looked at my old ratings, I gave it two and a half out of four, which means I'm not really recommending it. I would recommend it now. It's a good time. Not a sports movie. (laughs) But it's a lot of fun. And Craig especially steals the show, but hell of a good cast. This isn't surprising from Soderbergh. He's a damn good director. This is why I was so shocked when you said 92% of critics like it, 7.5 out of 10 mm-hmm. average score. Because I was thinking, like, 7, it's a good time. There's a lot of things that you can squint at and say, uh, I don't know about that if you think about it too long. But if you just let it wash over you and don't think about it too hard when you're watching it, it's a ton of fun. It should have gotten, I would think, more money at the box office because of that. It's pretty marketable. I am shocked. Well, not that. marketable, but this cast and good popcorn movie. Entertaining as all get out and Channing Tatum as the lead. Forget about everybody else. He's a pretty big star. Pretty big star, especially at this point in time. Well, in two weeks, it will be March 2nd. So in anticipation of Creed 3 coming out the very next day, we'll do a popcorn movie. (laughs) We've done a lot of these. We'll go back into the Rocky-verse for the fifth time. And it's the seventh time for me because, of course, Bev and I covered Rocky, the original, for the Top 100 Project. Now it's called Have You Ever Seen? Our podcast changed names beginning of January. And we did Creed. She and I did. But you and I have done Creed 2, Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 4. And now Rocky 5, the one that everyone hates. But I bet it's going to be fun. I don't hate it. Maybe you do. But I'm actually looking forward to seeing it. And you know what, Chris? Home team. (laughs) Home team. I don't think he ever said that in any of the sequels with the son. Rocky Balboa, so. and then the brief scene at the end of Creed 2. That's one I keep coming back to, by the way. YouTube recommends that scene at the end of Creed 2, because I watched it a few times, right? When he goes to see Robert yeah. at the end of Creed 2. That is a great scene. Stallone looks like his last ever moment in the Rocky universe is going to see his son and grandson. Rocky Five has some emotion in it, but we also know it might continue our theme of comedies lately, unintentionally in this case. Unintentionally, I think it will. I suspect we'll talk about Rocky Five very similarly to Over the Top in a lot of ways. But if nothing else, any opportunity for you to do a lot of Sly Stallone impressions is okay in my books. <laughs> I will be doing that plenty, I'm sure. Because he does go back to me the dumb Rocky after he gets his head kicked in <laughs> by yeah, Clubber. Not Clubber. That was years before. Movies before. Drago. Drago, that's it, of course. So we're on Twitter. I'm at MovieFiend51. Chris is at Scoring at Movies. The email address is ScoringAtTheMovies at gmail.com. Write us. Subscribe. Send comments. That kind of stuff. Help us grow the show. We're going on five years. I think it's in June or something. We'll have been doing this for five years. So, I you believe? Let's get some more attention, please. <laughs> <laughs> please, please help us. I need attention. 
Don't take it too easy, Logans. The fuzz is still on your trail. Even if it's a rogue agent, she might yet bring you down. I think she's going to bring them down. They didn't plan for that. They did not. Get Liberty Swank.